What does nationalism mean in music? Is it the specific art of composing that requires you to use melodies from your homeland so as to instil a feeling of nostalgia, national pride, inheritance and other descriptors that could perhaps mean that you feel all at one with those fellows around you? Do you have to be born in the country that you are writing about? What about your parents and your grandparents? Is there a time limit that will say when you are allowed to write these tunes? My research, Music of the Middle Passage and Beyond, will interrogate the musical outputs of African-American composers. I am examining and ultimately conducting performances of works by early 20th century African-American composers, which will be informed by an interrogation of their socio-cultural, historical, political and economic context. These performances will provide an opportunity to explain the relationships between African musical devices and the repertoire being performed. As part of this research, I will be examining the phenomenon of nationalism and what that means in the context of Western art music by African-American composers. What we do know is the culmination of 250 years of slavery in the United States gave rise to Negro spirituals. The influences on spirituals were numerous and included Christian melodies of white Europeans allied to the forced conversion to Christianity and the interpretation of the words from the Bible. Along with the slaves' brutal experience and the remnants of their own cultural identities, this was the backdrop in which spirituals were formed. I use spirituals as a catch-all to cover the numerous genres associated with African-American slave music, which included work songs, field hollers and ring shouts. The amalgamation of all these things gave rise to this sound world. This sound world for these genres is similar, but spirituals are unique. There are versions of work songs and field hollers all over the Americas. It is only in the United States that spirituals developed. So as a starting point, they are a unique and demonstrable characteristic of nationalist music. So how do we define nationalism? Music nationalism is a late 19th century device used by composers by using musical ideas that are associated with a certain country or ethnic group such as folk songs woven into the fabric of compositions. Most typically, the characteristics of nationalism depend on the nation-state that we are talking about. It can be agreed, though, that there are several features common to nationalism that are expressed across all nations. These factors include the use of folk and other popular melodies. Opera and programmatic music were used as vehicles to promote nationalism, using national folklore as subjects for telling stories. The emotional content of the stories being told, along with the familiar melodies, were enough to cause feelings of national pride. My research is based in part on the supposition that there is an element of nationalism expressed in African-American symphonic music. This is expressed in the use of familiar melodies, whether conscious or unconscious. The African-American experience was different to the experience of nationalism in 19th century Europe, when the use of idiomatic themes was a conscious decision for reasons that may or may not have been entirely musical. When Russia was invaded by Napoleon, the Russian aristocracy that had in the past styled itself on French culture became very disillusioned with the idea of foreign culture spreading throughout Russia. This is where the mighty five composers, 
Balakirev, Kui, Rimsky-Korsakov, Mussorgsky and Borodin started using Russian folk music as a way of restoring that national sense of identity. Glinka used the Protasnya, which were a form of long-drawn-out folk song in his opera A Life for the Tsar, as a way of expressing Russian nationalism. Finlandia, the Finnish nationalistic music, although not using Finnish folk songs, was used as a protest piece against the Russians and to instill feelings of national pride, a sense of unity and shared ideals. The point of these examples is to illustrate that European nationalism tends to be centralised around a single country, region or ethnicity, bringing forth a sense of a national identity. The sense of one people belonging to each other, the land and sharing a common set of values and ideals is inherent in nationalism. Of course, nationalism for each country is differentiated by the very thing upon which it depends and that is the use of devices and idioms that are specific to that country, region or ethnicity. However, in European art music there is also what I call a cultural musical inheritance. This can be defined as elements of culture, music, dance and literature that are rooted in a specific geographic area and have a relevance and resonance to the people of that geographic area. This is seen in European composers integrating dance forms into compositions. All European composers are familiar with other European dance forms in symphonic music. These things have been communicated through different mediums and codified. So, for example, the Polish Polonaise was utilised by Tchaikovsky in his opera Eugene Onegin, the numerous polkas written by the Strauss family in Vienna. These were of Czech origin. These composers, from different places geographically, with different languages, customs and heritages, but in a musical sense, they were bound together by their cultural musical inheritance. In terms of African Americans, the influences are the result of many people from different places. So the people that the music is representing do not all come from the same place. Indirectly, they do but slaves from different states could come from vastly different areas of West Africa. Different regions culturally and musically, but also very similar. Not only do they come from different places, it was highly unlikely that they knew where they came from exactly, and as the years progressed and slave populations were increased by the acquisitions of slaves who came from Brazil and other parts of the Caribbean with their own mixed identities, but also including music of other European colonial powers, it becomes much more difficult to find a shared musical legacy. I believe that there are two things that precipitated this naissance. The first was the introduction of Antonin Dvorak to the United States. He was there ostensibly to help create a new national sound for America. In the late 19th century, America was still searching for its own cultural identity. In musical contexts, they were much more comfortable looking at European composers as masters of the craft of composition. But to help develop a sound of their own, Dvorak was employed at the National Conservatory of Music in New York. In 1893, his Symphony No. 9, subtitled From the New World, was presented. 
It was based in part on Negro spirituals that he heard. The spirituals were sung to him by a young student. That student was called Harry T. Burley. Burley went on to become one of the foremost arrangers and composers of spirituals in the United States and is one of the most revered African-American composers. Dvorak also said in an article that in the Negro music of the United States there is everything to find a national school of music. This was an important statement and one that I believe laid the foundations for early 20th century African-American composers to find their own voice. The second thing was the three visits to the United States by the Afro-British composer Samuel Coleridge Taylor. He was at the height of his fame with his cantata The Song of Hiawatha being one of the most popular works on both sides of the Atlantic. On his first visit to the United States he was invited to the White House to meet the then President Theodore Roosevelt. This was a rare honour to be extended to a black man at that time. He also conducted a US Marines military band, becoming the first black man ever to do so. His compositions on African themes, especially his 1905 piano work, 24 Negro Melodies, which were a set of pieces based on African, Caribbean and American Negro melodies, were highly influential, as well as the support he received from black choral societies performing his cantata. Both of these events laid the foundations for what was to follow. To illustrate how this cultural musical inheritance applies in terms of the new Afro-American nationalism, I am going to highlight three works by African-American composers from the early 20th century. The three works I have chosen are William Grant Still Symphony No. 1, Afro-American Symphony, Nathaniel Dett, The Ordering of Moses, an Oratorio, and William Levi Dawson, Negro Folk Symphony. All three were composed between 1930 and 1932. two interesting aspects about all three pieces. The first is that they each use the same motif as an opening. The opening motif is a descending theme from the minor pentatonic scale. This motif appears in numerous spirituals, sometimes at the beginning, sometimes in the middle and sometimes at the end. It also appears in an ascending form. In 1867, Slave Songs of the United States was published. This important book is the first published collection of spirituals. It was printed two years after the end of the American Civil War, so not only is it important in that it contains versions of spirituals that were being sung in the mid-19th century, handed down and notated, thereby codifying and contextualising them. It is also an important record of the nature of spirituals and a starting point for the development of spirituals over the next 60 years. The second point is that the pieces were all composed within two years of each other. 
but there is no evidence that the composers had any contact with each other or even heard the other's pieces. In fact, when Nathaniel Dett's Ordering of Moses was premiered on the radio, it was turned off after 55 minutes because they didn't realise that the composer was an African-American. So, how do we explain the significance of this motif that appears in all three pieces? The conclusion is that the motif was used extensively by composers in the compositions of spirituals. Since spirituals were formed from many different parts and were ubiquitous amongst the slave population, it stands to reason that these melodies would be part of the assimilated cultural makeup of the African-American slaves. This musical acculturation developed amongst all slaves across the United States and culminated in a new form of expression, one where the African-American slaves who emanated from disparate parts of the African continent now had something in common, a shared musical experience. Music formed out of the bonds of slavery, a new cultural musical inheritance. Those early 20th century pioneers used their experience and cultural musical inheritance to forge a new sound in the context of Western art music. They brought in something new, familiar but altogether different from the sounds of their European counterparts. A fusion of melodies and rhythms influenced by their African roots and blended with European classical models. This is the background in which these African-American pioneer composers of the early 20th century found themselves working and with this they heralded the genesis of a new Afro-American nationalism. In doing so, they ushered in a new era for African-American composers, one where they could use their own sounds and experiences to enrich and inform the symphonic music of the 20th century. Whether it was intentional or not, still, Dett and Dawson paved the way for other 20th century African-American composers to write with a new voice and to provide the nationalism the United States had been seeking since the 19th century, but not in the way that it was envisaged.